0: frighten us by telling us the facts, the facts, the facts.
1: For 91.3 FM WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark in the great state of Delaware, I'm Bill Humphrey, and thanks for listening. The following episode was recorded on December 12, 2016 and produced by me at my studio in Newton, Massachusetts. This week, Jonathan joins me to discuss Democratic legislative mistakes that don't help the cause. But first, my guest Shakia joins me to discuss Colin Kaepernick's racial justice protests in the NFL. All that is coming up right now on Arsenal for Democracy. Arsenal for Democracy is available for download on Wednesdays at arsenalfordemocracy.com and from iTunes. We air the show in Delaware on 91.3 FM and stream it from wvud.org on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on Twitter at AFD Radio or like us on Facebook. You're listening to Arsenal for Democracy. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. My guest this week joining me on the line from Chicago is Shakia. Uh, She's going to be on the show this week to talk about uh, a segment uh, that we occasionally do here on the show, which is sports politics. So a political story that comes out of the sports world. Um, And in this case, we're going to be talking about the uh, protest uh, that many Americans are aware of that, uh, the uh, quarterback from the uh, football team in San Francisco has been uh, leading and that's been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, I don't really know a lot about football, so she's going to be sort of our football expert and also talk about the, the context of the protests. Uh, So uh, Shakia, welcome to the program.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: As I said, I don't know a whole lot about football I think the last uh the last time I did a f- football segment on this show was probably uh I- either about the uh Washington football team name or about uh the domestic violence incidents and things like that. Um but we've also covered uh the uh, guy, I think was his name Michael Sam. Um mm-hmm. yeah, so mm-hmm. so these are the kind of things that we're usually talking about when we when we do bring up the NFL. Um uh, who, who is leading this protest, and, uh, and what, what is the, the core of this protest about?
0: Well, um, Colin Kaepernick is uh, the person who started the protest. He started kneeling during the national anthem. Um, Colin Kaepernick lost his starting spot on the 49ers, I believe, last season. Um, and this season, by all accounts, the 49ers stink. So Blaine Gabbert was San Francisco's starting quarterback and so a lot of people criticized Colin because well he's not the starter and so therefore you really can't get respect from us because you're not very good and so it was almost as if his kneeling during the national anthem and his talent or you know losing his starting position have something to do with one another and they don't. Um, It seems that people have a gross misunderstanding when it comes to the purpose of the kneeling, the purpose of the protest. Um, There's been a lot of uh, back and forth that I've seen online and on TV and, you know, from sports commentators about why he's doing it. And I'm, almost certain that no one is actually paying attention
1: yeah it seems to me that a, a lot of times um they you know he he's being i guess he's not he's not like shouting at people about it or anything he's he's been kind of uh you know just giving statements periodically and um they seem to be very well informed statements and at, at the very least very thoughtful statements it was not like he had rushed into this or anything it seems like any action that he takes or any statement that he makes is at least backed up with some sort of like you know conscientious thought to it um but but these uh the sports reporters especially seem just like they don't know how to handle it like they're just like, I, st- I still don't get this after however many dozens of times that we've, you know, talked about this. I still don't understand what's happening.
0: The interesting part of this is, one thing you said, it's silent. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't yelling. He's not calling anyone names. In fact, it never came up until someone asked him a question. So the idea that he's doing it you know, for the visual is kind of silly. He wasn't, he never said anything about it. He got asked a question one day and it picked up steam and it's protest is not supposed to be comfortable. I'm not sure where in this generation we were like, Oh, Hey, if you don't like this thing, this gross injustice, don't bother me with it. Protest, but do it over there, (laughs) do it over there. Be quiet about it. You know, don't get in my way. How dare you make me think during my football game? And it's sad. It's really sad. One, because the lack of critical thinking just is baffling. Like, and then the false idea that protesting is disrespectful to the military how? How? When did we come up with the idea that the national anthem represents the military and by extension, the police and by extension of that, the fire department, the national anthem is symbolic. It doesn't, it should represent all of us, which is kind of the point. And again, protest is supposed to be uncomfortable. And I like the idea that no matter how terrible your line of thinking is, is Kaepernick's kneeling is making people talk. It is It has started a conversation. Whether what you're saying is intelligent or not is questionable, but <laughs> it started a conversation. People are thinking about, hey, why is he doing this? And if it upsets you, the next question should be, why am I bothered by this? You know what I
1: mean? I know that he's talked about a lot of different issues since this started coming up, but as you said, this originally came up because someone finally asked him about it um what was the original specific reason that he had cited was it uh related to police violence or was it more a broader thing i know he like i said he's talked about other things since then of course
0: right in the beginning if i remember correctly because this has been going on for so long now um i'm actually surprised that it stayed in the news this long considering we have the 24-hour news cycle But in the beginning, if I remember correctly, it was about police brutality slash racism. Um, And he talked about it and he was very well spoken and he made some very good, cohesive points without yelling. And he didn't get angry. And I feel like he very well could have been. Um, He said things that have made people think because what? I believe like American football fans don't really take into mind is, these athletes are people. So sure, on Sunday, for so many weeks, 16 weeks out of the year, they're playing football, they are entertaining you, they are playing a sport. But when the game is over, they go home, they're real people. And without the helmet and the pads and the uniform, they're still just black men walking the streets and black men driving luxury cars or living in nice neighborhoods where they, you know, may not be welcome otherwise. Um, it's very interesting that we strip celebrities and athletes especially of their humanity, you know? And that was his point. like at the end of the day, I am still a black man and this could happen to me and this could happen to someone I know and someone I love. And people lost it about it. I feel like his point got lost in just the idea that we don't like to hear what's uncomfortable for us.
1: And I think if I remember correctly, there is a case recently uh, where some police officer had, had crippled a former NFL player. I think that was, I forget where that was. I think it was somewhere Mm -hmm. in the, in like the East coast somewhere. But, uh, you know, that, that goes to your point that the, you know, being in the NFL doesn't like inoculate these people from like dangerous encounters with the the police, which is what he was protesting.
0: Right. And the police response proved his point. Yeah. Like, Hey, we're not going to work your games. We're not going to do our jobs because you want us to do our jobs? Like, this makes no sense to me. And um, and I, I hate the argument of not all cops because, well, obviously. You know what I mean? Obviously not all cops. Obviously not all whatever. That could be said for anything. However, right. it's a problem. It's not a new problem. It's just... It's now being videotaped and social media is allowing these stories to get out before there's a whole lot of damage control from police departments, communications, you know, areas. And, you know, it's out there now. And I think it's great what he's doing and the conversation is happening. And I wish more people would listen. This has been going on for weeks, weeks, months now, right?
1: I think months. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're in December, and football season started in September. So all this time, he's still having to explain himself. I think people are willfully missing the point.
1: Yeah, I I have to imagine so. I mean, the most recent thing that happened was, uh, because we're recording on December 12th, which is a a few days after uh, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, and somebody like active duty high up in the military, I think in, in the Pentagon, tweeted out something about you know like hinting not by name but hinting that it was somehow disrespectful to the people who died at Pearl Harbor I guess
0: yes I read that (laughs) he gave it it was like a speech right like this this supposedly you know speech and memoriam of Pearl Harbor and he mentions Colin Kaepernick kneeling and it's like okay your head and the point are really far apart and So there's this thing that I always talk about with my friends with regard to patriotism, and it's jingoism. Yeah. We are just absurdly jingoistic as a country. And it's really, really prevalent in sports. You know, like, we call our teams the best in the world. And, you know, we're not the only country who has sports teams and leagues and we find ourselves calling ourselves premier, you know, the NBA champions are the world champions. The, you know, MLB, granted, there is a team in another country, but it's Canada, (laughs) not far away, you know, world series. This is the best baseball team in the world, you know? And so that jingoism just it's so strong, it's so strong. So anything that is perceived as disrespect to the flag, the military, it's it's absurd because what happened to free speech? What happened to, now I know, I know, you know, free speech is a thing people on Twitter throw out. I can say what I want to say because <laughs> free speech. Yeah, you're not free of consequences from your from your fellow man, from the government, sure but that was just an absurd call out because where's the connection to Pearl Harbor? Like those people died in an attack. Yeah. They, they, they didn't die because a black dude was like, eh, I don't want to stand during the national anthem on Sundays. Like it's just what he's doing is harmless, but the rhetoric that's coming from people who are against it is harmful Um, I've gotten into arguments with people I know about it. Um, People telling me that, you know, standing for the anthem is a matter of respect. And I go to lots of sporting events. I go to Bears games. I go to Cubs games. I've been to White Sox, Bulls, Blackhawks. I sit during the anthem all the time. Not because of any real reason, honest. I've been doing it for years. It's because I don't want to. The anthem is the best time to get a beer, to be honest with you. (laughs) Like, because everyone else is standing and watching, you know, someone sing or whatever, go get a beer, get a hot dog. Lines aren't long, go to the bathroom, however that goes. I just didn't realize that so many people cared this much to connect it to Pearl Harbor. It's rude. It's also kind of disrespectful to the intelligence of the people he was talking to.
1: Yeah. No and and, I mean, you know, you're you're right because uh, the the uh, there's a reason that the First Amendment is the first amendment. they They were pretty specific for all of their you know, slaveholding hypocritical faults at the time. They were pretty specific <laughs> that they thought that dissent was an important component within, you know, a patriotic framework. Um, right. There certainly weren't a lot of people who were less patriotic, whatever that means, than the people who wrote the Constitution. and they seemed to be fine with, you know, creating provisions for. Uh, protected dissent. But as you said, everyone is not really listening to what he's saying, and they're just, you know, freaking out immediately. Um, I wanted to talk uh, specifically too, as well, um, about the uh, some of the more um, concrete things that he had brought up uh, in the course of these protests, because I guess it was after a few press conferences, he couldn't keep giving the same answers to the same questions. So he Mm -hmm. gave them new things to ask about. Um, I know there was some stuff about Cuba, but also uh, the thing that I think was really important uh, was about uh, Fred Hampton. Um, And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, both what that uh, was about and who that is and also what the reaction to that was.
0: First, I am so happy that you asked me this question. Um, I was really happy that Colin wore that shirt. Um, I am a, you know, I'm a early 30s black woman living in Chicago. And I have a T-shirt that says, the Chicago Police Department killed Fred Hampton. And the first time I wore it, I wore it in Philadelphia in 2015. Visiting a friend, because to be honest, I was a little afraid to wear it here. Um, So I walked around downtown Philly with my friend and we went into a Starbucks. And there was... um. Oh, white family, you know, mom, dad, teenage son in the Starbucks. And they are looking at my shirt and they are reading it. And I knew it was going to happen, but that was kind of, kind of the point of the shirt. And the mom says to me, who's Fred Hampton? And her son, before I could open my mouth, says, mom, you don't know who Fred Hampton is. And this kid schools his parents in Starbucks. Nice. Um, and I was so proud that I offered to buy his coffee. Like, hey, you're not my kid, but what you just did is incredible. So what I realized about uh, Fred Hampson when uh, Colin Kaepernick wore the shirt is that, again, he created conversation. There were a lot of people who had no idea who he was. I even saw on Twitter that a journalist for the Tribune here in Chicago had no idea. That was disappointing to me, because you're a journalist. (laughs) And Fred Hampton is a big, big part of Chicago history. And so I'll tell you about Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was a member of the Black Panther Party and he lived here in Chicago. I believe he was the deputy chairman of the National Black Panther Party. And on December 4th, 1969, which Colin wore the shirt on the anniversary of his uh, murder, uh, there was a raid by, I believe, the FBI and the Chicago police. And Fred Hampton was asleep and he was in bed next to his pregnant girlfriend. And they just, you know, police, FBI, they come in guns a blazing. And they, they're they shooting the place up and he's asleep and they find him in bed and someone says they found him, you know, and he's still breathing. So they kill him. They pretty much assassinate him while his pregnant girlfriend is there. His son was born a couple of months later. Um, it's a very interesting story. It's big, big, big in Chicago history. Um, No one likes to use the proper terms. Like, it's romanticized. No one says he was murdered. No one says he was assassinated. You know, it was a raid gone bad. But by all accounts that I've ever heard, he was killed on purpose. Everything that I've ever heard about it, the stories from my relatives, you know, my, my grandmother her sisters, uh, were a part of the great migration and they lived on the West side of Chicago. When this happened, they moved to Chicago in 1957 and this happened in 1969. And it's all my family talks about is how they killed that boy. It's a, it's amazing. And so to see that it's not taught, it's not taught in traditional public schools. Um, When I asked around people who had heard of it, everyone heard of it word of mouth or seeking it out on their own. And so the fact that he wore this shirt and had journalists looking it up and, you know, even journalists who are local to Chicago who cover the Chicago police on a regular basis, they have no idea. And I do think that Fred Hampton's story fits with Collins' mission here so to speak i don't want to really say it's a mission but in that he's just pointing out the grave injustice that has been going on for decades decades a man was killed he wasn't arrested he you know he wasn't brought in to testify or give his side of things he was just killed
1: i was also going to point out that um, at the time that Fred Hampton was killed, he was only 21 years old, which is sort of it, it's a, I, I mean, I'm you know, I'm fairly young. I'm 25. But, uh, you know, that's like really impressive that he w- had done as much as he had done, you know, by the time he was 21. And Colin Kaepernick himself is uh, only 29. And, you know, I, I, I've been uh, thinking a lot about this, especially since the election, about how many of the people In the, you know, whether it was the civil rights movement or Black Panther activities in the late 1960s, how many of these people were so young and accomplished so much or really like changed conversations so much? I know a lot of people feel that Fred Hampton, part of the like risk that he posed to the establishment was that he was actually pretty appealing to people outside of the traditional circles that had maybe had appeal from the Black Panthers, including plenty of white folks um especially you know poor white folks and mm-hmm. uh i you know i just i keep coming back to this uh the, this this sort of new crop of of younger people that are that are leading things now and then also seeing some of the people who were around at the time in you know in the 1950s or 1960s who i don't know I, in a way don't want to don't seem to want to let go of of that period uh you know, not not in terms of remembering things, which is important, but in terms of, like, realizing that maybe the younger people could uh, take a, a, a pretty important role again in, in the current generation. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that particular aspect.
0: Well, I've seen a lot of older people, you know, I feel like what happens is the older you get, the more risk averse you become, um, the more conservative so to speak you become in your actions you know like you feel like you got more to lose so older people aren't going to do something where they feel like they're going to risk their retirement you know or but young people are are out saying you know this needs to change and I'm willing to risk my body I'm willing to risk my life I'm willing to risk potential future employment for the greater good. You know, I've seen some of these young folks getting arrested. Now, here's the thing when I say young folks. I'm 34. I'm not that old. However, I sometimes am like, oh, well, I don't want to get arrested. And I don't I have too much going on. To, you know what I mean, to risk right. my career. And so I applaud them. I I will donate money if they need it. I will, if they're hungry, I will feed them because they have it. They have the energy for it. They are motivated. And let's be honest, we're still fighting the very same fight that our grandparents were. Um, my grandmother is 93, Um, she has been retired my whole entire life and her stories are amazing. You know, growing up in Indianola, Mississippi, moving to the North, she said stuff like, you know, you kids don't know how good you have it. But then on the same token, she talks about how much things really haven't changed. You know, be careful going out around the cops. My grandma used to always tell us this weird thing, like, you know, don't put your drink down cuz nothing's really changed. <laughs> like mm. there's nothing new under the sun and I think there's some value to the youth. Like this is this is their future. Um, and they don't want to keep living under the restraints that their parents or even even me that I had to, you know, if I I've, I've had to deal with. If I were in my 20s, I'd probably be out there raising hell too. Um, I like I like young leadership. I like, especially you know, young men like Collins stepping up and saying this isn't right. Um, just look at what he has to lose: millions of dollars, endorsements, a career, his life. Even um, I read that he gets a ton of hate mail, a ton, yeah. and they send it right to the team. How do you, how do you do that? How do you say, "Hey, young man"? you know, you can't really want a better, can't really want a better country. You, you can't want to be treated equally. You want to be human? Are you kidding me? Go, go throw that ball. Um, I'm all for the youth. Go for it. Do what needs to be done. Because <laughs> some of us have, we've reached a point where we feel like we have too much to lose or there's kids involved and, you know, parents don't want to be separated from their kids. Um, I feel like throughout history, if we looked, that a lot of revolutionaries were, had their lives cut down very early. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't 40 right. when he died. And, you know, like you said, Fred Hampton was 21. And I'm sure if we kept looking, we would find um, it, that they take down perceived threats from young revolutionaries. You know, they take them real early. Because 21 meant he had a long life ahead of him where he could have changed the world.
1: You've talked a lot about sort of just the value uh, in and of itself of starting conversations that weren't happening um it, you know I'm sure that there are some listeners uh you know especially on the air in Delaware who maybe uh you know hadn't necessarily thought about some of the points you were bringing up um or were skeptical of uh Colin's protests. protest w- What is sort of the big takeaway that you're that you're hoping people will will get out of this uh protest or at least start thinking about
0: um the big thing, the key point that I've been talking about a lot that I hope that people take from this is that, that A, the injustice exists, right? It's there. We can't keep ignoring it. We can't keep acting like, you know, it's, it's not happening. You can't sweep it under the rug anymore. But in addition to that is that you can can do the whole I don't see color thing, but do you see humanity? Like, black men, black people, we are human. We shouldn't have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, be educated a certain way, to be respected. That, And I don't like the the thing that keeps being said is, oh, you should just listen to the cops. What? That is absurd. Because... I don't know where the idea of authority that, you know, people have came from. I wasn't raised that way. You know, the police work for us Mm -hmm. and we should be allowed to ask questions. Mm -hmm. We should be allowed to hold them accountable for this stuff. That is what I hope the takeaway is that black people are human and shouldn't have to do anything special to be seen as such. And that the police work for us. We can totally ask them questions.
1: Yeah, I feel like these are pretty simple asks that you and Colin and everyone else are making. And I, I you know, I think it's it's pretty telling if people are getting upset at, at that level of uh, uh, basic request. But, uh, you know, thank you so much for uh, coming on this week. And also, you know, congratulations, of course, to you and the rest of the Chicago Cubs fandom out there.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really appreciate it. Go Cubs.
1: All right. Thanks. Coming up right now, Jonathan joins me to discuss democratic legislative mistakes. You're still listening to Arsenal for Democracy. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Joining me in studio now is Jonathan Cohn. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. So uh, it's been an interesting week since we last talked. Um, last week, we were talking uh, at some length about um, Republican mechanisms for getting their agenda through Congress, things that we need to be keeping an eye out for, being vigilant for. Um, and uh, that was sort of the main focus last week. Uh, I know you've been writing a few other things yeah. in the past week. Um I was wondering could you talk a little bit about what you've been writing about? Uh, I think some of it you've been writing on your medium, right?
2: Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I recently created a medium account. Okay.
1: So how do you <laughs> how do people get to that? What is it, medium.com slash like at Jonathan Cohn, I think?
2: Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. how you get All right. to it. So if what you, have
1: so what have you been writing about?
2: Yeah. Um it basically follows from the conversation that we had last week, looking at the way in which leg- in which significant pieces of legislation can be enacted via via writers to must pass bills. Or also looking at the tendency of Democrats to kind of drop their demands and then pass must pass bills without things that they had deemed priorities. And you can see that in two, two of the bills that just passed last week. Because before, when we were talking, they, there was a potential
1: that they were going to hold up some legislation, the Democrats, over Flint funding and minors insurance, I think. So uh, minors f- health insurance. So the
2: Flint funding had already gone into the to the water resources bill. It was just at risk of being stripped out. Okay. because it could have been. That, however, there was, because of a, as I, expl- I explained the origins of it in, in the piece to some extent, but there's a... I, a fund that kind of that short for um for healthcare and pensions for miners. It's a it's a private multi employer fund that's backed up by the federal government as a result of a deal, uh between the United Mine Mine Workers of America and um the Truman administration in nineteen forty eight. And so because of that 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 but because in recent years a number of coal mines have been going under, have been closing, and then you have some. Uh, companies like Patriot coal that just want to get out of their pension obligations when they go bankrupt that fund is losing that fund is running out so there would be a lot of people who would just be kind of left without the kind of retirement benefits that they've been promised and Democrats wanted to include this one bill that had actually passed in committee I believe back in September that would create a long-term solution for this it would be taking money from I think it's like like a mine reclamation fund or whatever it was from and to basically to shore up this base of funding. But Mitch McConnell, given that Mitch McConnell is uh, not that fond of the mine, the mine workers union and very much a fa- a friend of the coal CEOs What just had no intention of including that. So you had some Democrats with, with a significant coal miner populations in their States, people like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, um, who had who wanted to be able to who had wanted to fight for that in, inclusion of that in the bill to kind of stand show this like we're standing up uh, standing up for kind of people's retirement benefits particularly considering if you think of like all that like old people in coal states pretty much did go for Trump it's also a nice way of, of, of showing like no worthy actually the ones who are going to stand up for the economic for like the working cl- working class in these states and Democrats had, had made noise that they might actually hold up the bill and th- be willing to go through with like shutting down the government uh or at least hinting that they might do that if it weren't included uh instead of the like four month patch in the bill that only funds that that only kind of provides funding for that for those programs until April when it's budget time again um and who know and with who knows what's going to happen then but then Friday came and they dropped the demand. They, vote, they provided enough votes um, for the, kind of to proceed so that they didn't have the votes to filibuster it, right? Because um, it was, I believe, 18 Democrats had... Like, t- only 28 Democrats had voted to block it from advancing, uh, with 18 v- joining most Republicans and voting to proceed to vote on the bill. And then Democrats split 23-23 on passing the bill. With, that did not include the demand that they had said that they were going to make a halt to-do-over, um, with no, no promises from Republicans that in any way that this issue would be addressed next year.
1: Did they make a point?
2: In, in like, New York Times, Chuck Schumer had talked about, oh, well, you know, we didn't get it, but we, I think we've made our point. Maybe Chuck Schumer wants a gold star for, like, some speeches that were given, but at the end of the day... The point that they showed is that Democrats will still pa will will drop their demands readily to agree to must pass bills, whether it's like an ominous bill or other like large bipartisan bills without getting what they want, so that Republicans don't really need need them because Democrats won't vote again won't vote against things. You know, I feel like uh, periodically you hear Democrats talking about
1: how they're like, well, we don't need to get rid of the filibuster; we just need to make it like. Uh, an old fashioned talkie filibuster like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and that will solve all the problems. Cause then, you know, it'll raise the sort of barrier to doing one of them. And then it'll only be for stuff that really counts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not that that's really how that actually worked in practice back at the time. They filibustered plenty of stuff that should not have been filibustered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did not require that much effort. Um, but also I feel like it just lends itself to this like whole kind of mythology of like, well, we've made our point. Like it it prioritizes the style over the substance of anything. Um, And and I think that happened like particularly strongly with the weird thing that happened in the house earlier this year that like, I I'm hesitant to be critical of it on some level because like it was some Democrats showing spine for the first time in public in many years Uh, but on the other hand, they were pushing a fairly dangerous proposal on gun control. Yeah. Um, it was kind of one of the worst possible gun control Mm -hmm. things they could have proposed. Uh, I did not personally support it. I don't think you supported it either. And so it was kind of frustrating to see them like really go all in on this thing that A was bad and B was not going to, Mm -hmm. like that wasn't going Mm -hmm. to advance anything and it didn't. Um, but they did that sit in and I just, yeah it was for the yeah the basically that this terrorist watch list that's kind of an arbitrary list with limited disclosure and no real way to figure out how you ended up on it or whether or not you're on it that kind of thing um that sort of has um uh, because of who they were stuffing onto it around 2001 uh it has a lot of like you know people that are muslim or might be muslim or are from some arab american mm-hmm. background and like that's kind of discriminatory for no particular reason, because we obviously know that there are plenty of people who don't match match that demographic who use guns for all kinds of violent and nefarious purposes. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to think with all this stuff because they just like, and that, I think that's my concern too, is that they're just going to, it's going to be come January or February. It's going to be stunt city. Yeah. They're just going to be pulling stunt after stunt after stunt with With zero impact. Yeah and like we can talk all we want about gearing up for resistance and the need to watch these different riders and bills and you know call your senator and get them to oppose uh voucherization of Medicare and things like that and i'm just like are they actually gonna going to do, do anything yeah and and i i have to imagine based on the numbers you were quoting about which democrats voted which way like it sounds like a lot of democrats were just like Oh, no, we can't do another shutdown. And people in my state really need that, which is probably true. People in their state are probably really counting on the other funding that was included. But, you know, I keep going back to this point, this concept of solidarity and compromise. If you're going to compromise, it should be by... Getting less than you wanted, but for everyone rather yeah. than or making it short-term But for everyone rather than leaving out certain people. Yeah, just to make it easier I think that's a very very dangerous and destructive way of doing compromise Um It's self-sabotage because you are shooting your own political coalition in the foot by leaving chunks of it behind and and the It is always like you are always going to have more leverage if you are jeopardizing a lot of people than yeah. if you are like moving forward with some people and leaving some people behind and then being like, oh, we're going to come back and get you later.
2: Yeah. And, and with this, like, in terms of like the whole like making a point, it would actually have been probably, it, it, it's far out till the next election cycle, but it would have probably have been very helpful for the Democrats who are in states that might not be the most friendly for Democrats, or even purple states like Ohio, to talk about how Democrats stood, only because of how Democrats stood strong and stood together did we get this funding. From from for kind of from miners' pensions and health benefits, because against Republican and we were able to break the Republican opposition because they're not going to, like because we're the ones who stand on the side, um, kind of, of retirees in terms of the working class, etc. And instead, they folded. And so there's not really a, the message is most compelling if you could say that the party as itself stood for something, rather than just well you you got I think what, like thirty eight uh, you got twenty eight Democrats to stand against this. Great for you. Is
1: Schumer already the majority leader? I mean, the minority leader, the Democratic no, leader? I think, I or is he is it not till January? I think
2: it takes effect, effect in January. He did actually vote, vote the right way on both of those. But just uh, I'm, he not, knows he, I'm
1: not doubting that he did. I'm just wondering because you but, were... But
2: he, it's it's making a free vote. So right. it's not really like how much he votes so much. How the fact that like Joe Manchin was apparently, I think according to one news, I don't know if it was in Times article, was calling his colleagues trying to see if he could get support. People like, Manchin is bad on many issues, but he, in terms of like things like not destroying the retirement benefits of the people in his state or, like, trade deals that would devastate his state, he'll be good on that stuff.
1: Right, whereas his Republican counterpart, the other senator from West Virginia, is quite bad on this and was like, well, I think we'll get around to fixing that pension situation later, but, you know, it's not really worth shutting down the entire government. Exactly. Right, so it's not even, it's not, like, as callous as the McConnell position from neighboring Kentucky, but, like, it's definitely not the most sympathetic to her own voters because those aren't really the people, like that she's that worried about politically. I don't know. Like, yeah, I agree yeah. with your point. But... And
2: as well as even with things with, with, the shut, with any type of like, with shutdown threats is that if you're not going to make clear that you're willing to carry through with something, you're not going to get concessions mm-hmm. because if Republicans, if Democrats will say, we are going, we will block this bill unless you give, give us this one, this kind of, this one thing, then what good does why would Republicans ever agree to it? Because yeah. they know they know that and it doesn't it's mean It's a paper that tiger. Yeah. That you'll just back down at any time and so you'll just constantly get, get steamrolled every time.
1: I get the sense though, the reason that I brought up the thing about Schumer, you know, as opposed to Reed being the Democratic leader, is that it, it seems like Reed's basically checked out already. Like yeah, he's he still has. there and he's the leader, but they did the tribute ceremony yeah. and like he's not really doing the job of caucus leader at this point i don't think
2: although i'm not sure if are they still did they end session on friday because friday they passed the omnibus bill which is one of the things they need to pass before that i don't know well i think they might have some i don't know if they have stuff in early january the
1: other thing i mean that certainly happened with the fiscal cliff after the 2012 election that that session ended up going into january and they like they like extended by artificially yeah, extended, extended the day. Yeah. Uh, you know, the because day, the, past end of the day four hours. Yeah. yeah. Cause
2: that's the thing. Like right, what you could have done is if you wanted to just make sure that you get this, then you say, then you block it. And then you demand that the house and the Senate pass like a week long continuing resolution until you get what, and then We'll come back. And you say that there's no need for any Republican to have a, have a nice Christmas holiday. Yeah. And I'll say Christmas, because I think there's only one of them, who, Lee Zeldin of New York's, New York's First District, who wouldn't be celebrating Christmas, because uh, he's the, the sole Jewish Republican in either House of Congress. But yeah, there's no reason for them to be able to go, go to have like a nice, happy holiday. But in terms of like people who are retiring, it just made me think of the other vote on Friday night it was on the Water Resources Development Bill um where finally flint funding finally got it was, was in that but diane feinstein uh the one the not as good democratic senator from california barbara boxer has problems but i still have a soft spot for her before because of her climate advocacy um which was she was the first politician whose email list i was ever on because of i think having called in or emailed her office in favor of or kind of the box, the, her, her climate bill I believe it was her and Sanders Back in like 2007 I think it was um, But So like Dianne Feinstein And Kevin McCarthy the majority leader in the house Who's also, also from California Snuck a provision In the, the water resources bill at the, kind of the final days To kind of redirect some water Sources in the San Joaquin Valley um, In California To appease agribusiness And basically allowing them to kind of run roughshod over the Endangered Species Act, as well as having a provision that allows, like, Donald Trump to approve whatever damn construction he wants without congressional authorization. And they just snuck that in at the very end. And Barbara Boxer gave, like, a very kind of impassioned speech on Friday morning, just kind of in disgust, because she would, because of it, because she would end it in, because she was going to have to vote against her own bill that she had spent a lot of time on, tried to get a lot of stuff for California in be- because it was messing up the drought. Kind of, yeah. You, know, you, can't, to divert- you can't
1: mess around with water politics in California. California. It's a very, very, very it's complicated very t- and delicate it, yeah. issue both scientifically the, and politically, politically yeah. especially
2: given the fact that they have a drought. Yeah. Um, and because of that, she was ra- rather upset that she was going to have to vote against her own bill. Because of something that she did not call out Diane Feinstein by name, but kind of hinted very clearly whom she was talking about in terms of when, uh, politi- noting how like it, that it's that it's wrong that politicians just can just if like special interests just have somebody's ear, they can get whatever they want put into the bill at the last minute, or whatever, and it passed easily. That I think Boxer had tried to get some of her Democratic colleagues to kind of quote unquote filibuster the bill with her, but that that didn't even come close. Well.
1: Real mess. But uh I was also just wondering again, not to keep going back to that well, but the issue with Reed sort of checking out, um, you know, and he is actually retiring, so you know, if the session ends, then he's pretty much done, right? Unless they come back for a special like yeah. super, you know, final last session or something. But you know, I, I was uh talking to someone last week who was you know, there's there was the runoff election in Louisiana. Um, Mm -hmm. for the senate race and like you can argue back and forth as to whether or not like maybe the democratic senatorial campaign committee just didn't really invest there because it was such a long shot the guy Mm -hmm. didn't really like even people that i knew who were down there canvassing for him were like he didn't really have a platform it was kind of hard to tell what he stood for people were just kind of burned out you'd go to the door and people would be like no we already lost like it's yeah. over there was a sense of like defeat in the way that was not true with like a year ago John Bell Edwards getting elected to yeah. the governor kind of surprisingly in the runoff election there uh from the democrats but you know again you can argue back and forth as to whether or not they like should have done something mm-hmm. cuz they did nothing i i am in the camp that says they should have at least tried i think that would have yeah. you know been a good place to like start digging in their heels i don't think that like i don't think it's less demoralizing to fight and lose another race than to just not give up fight. at all yeah yeah
2: the um, one, one thing i thought was interesting with that the the, the i think I, know, I know somebody who's on the dscc democratic senate campaign committee's email list i i'm not i'm on the dcc the congressional campaign committee's mailing list against my will because i my unsubscribe attempts haven't actually worked um, but they didn't send any email not- kind of acknowledging that that race existed. The only emails that I got about it from like the various politicians whose email list I've managed to get on were Catherine Cortez-Masto and Maggie Hassan. Um, I, and I also... I thought that yeah. was to their credit. Yeah. And, and they I, actually tried to bring attention to that. And I, I think also as well that uh,
1: it, it's hard for the DSCC to compellingly make the case that they just ignored it because it was quote-unquote unwinnable given the races that they did invest in in other states earlier in the year, which were also unwinnable, unwinnable yeah. and that there were winnable races that they didn't invest in. So yeah. it was just yeah, they were just they're, they're, really they're all over the map, but, but point. yeah, but so anyway, this person that I was talking to was just saying like that, that their perspective on this was that, um, the party as a whole at the national level is just completely leaderless and has no direction. And that that had been almost the case for a while, but at least like, you know, as bad as Debbie Wasserman Schultz was, at least there was one person that was sort of in charge on some level. Yeah. And, and or... you Somebody had was the, making decisions. Yes, or you had the rival locus of power at the White House, but the White House also is almost acting like they've checked out at this point. Yeah. I think because, understandably, they are feeling very devastated by the fact that a lot of the stuff that they worked on, especially this year, is it's about to complaint. be swept away yeah, immediately. Yeah, because
2: Republicans, because especially given the fact that there's one... Uh, because of something that's passed in the ninety—I believe was passed in the, the '90s—that allows Congress to kind of pass, uh, kind of
1: rescind executive, yeah, executive orders, orders by simple yeah, this, majority vote. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and, and that can go back, depending on how they want to kind of term what it means that they were in, in, like in session. By some interpretations, that could go back to include anything from May. Yikes! Like at the very least, it'll definitely include the overtime rule. Yeah. So.
1: I can understand again, like I understand why people are behaving this way, but on a, on a at a certain point, like you are still the leader uh, until you are done. Yeah. And like, you know, they've put in Donna Brazil as the interim DNC mm-hmm. chair and you can, you can, you know, there are many things to criticize about her, but like, why is she not like making decisions, decisions. yeah, you know, or at least that's the appearance of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm completely yeah, wrong here, but co- it, it to appears be to be. Yeah. Um, There was a very weird moment. and I think we'll end on this, but there was a very weird moment where, Donna Brazil from her Twitter account was just retweeting nothing but uh like like daily self affirmation tweets <laughs> from some other account like just you know clicking like retweet 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 Did on these know? like you know basically like don't don't let the haters get you down type stuff and not but like not quite that over the top it was more just like when things look tough so, you know keep on going and stuff like that and it was just like line, oh
2: no please stop wasn't there some line of hers that it involved like champagne or some
1: um i don't alcohol. know
2: it, it was something to that effect though
1: in any case uh we're gonna have to leave it here this week um but uh i i would just want to preview for folks um you know i think we'll still have a a, a couple more shows coming up um before the uh holiday uh hiatus at wvud and then my anticipation is we'll be back in january um but i hope that we will be talking again about some bigger ideas i know we've we've stepped away from that a little bit just as we try to like use some concrete examples from the news to talk about sort of bigger like technical issues like these riders and things like Mm -hmm. that um, but, you know, I want to I want to be having some more conversations about the future direction of health care in this mm-hmm. country. Um, I want to be having conversations uh, again about uh, wages, uh, wage theft issues. I think that's going to be really important yeah. with who the incoming labor secretary is yeah. expected to be. Um, you know, again, I don't want to I don't want to make the story about the specific people necessarily, because we don't even know if some of them are definitely picked or if mm-hmm. they're going to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, but they are like a good entry point into like talking about sort of you know mainstream positions on these issues there's a lot of tax collection and uh tax break stuff that we've talked about in the past that i want to return to both talking about kind of offshore uh you know banking issues but also homeowner tax breaks and things like that that we've talked about that tend to benefit upper middle class households with not really being options for you know lower income people especially if they're renters. Obviously I don't think we're going to be getting these these positive reforms that I would like uh under the current administration but what can we be doing to come up with to craft a unified sort of platform that the democrats can present as an alternative or anybody from the left can present as an alternative because I think that you I think that in, I think that just saying no to everything and doing these sort of stunts that are going to fail is not the way forward I think at the very least if we're going to go down and lose some of these fights we have to be saying the entire time this is what we would be doing differently if we had power. So that's just my little preview for folks. Uh, again, uh, Jonathan Cohn, you can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Cohn. Also find his stuff on Medium or at ArsenalForDemocracy.com. And uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. That's all the time we have this week. Tweet us your comments at AFD Radio or email AFDRadio at gmail.com. The show is available for download from ArsenalForDemocracy.com on Wednesdays. You can also hear it on the air in Delaware from 91.3 FM WVUD, WVUD HD1, and WVUD HD2 Newark every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can get additional commentary at ArsenalForDemocracy.com daily, as well as links to articles discussed today. From my studio in Newton, Massachusetts, I'm Bill Humphrey, and I approve this message. Good night.